So you know your preacher's lying to you whenever he says he wishes he could preach Genesis 22, uh, the text where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, which is what we're talking about this morning. So uh, Tracy, I don't know if that was entirely truthful, but now we'll have a good time. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where plans didn't go according to plan, when things didn't turn out the way they were supposed to? When you had a plan in mind, and life crumpled up those plans and tossed them to the wind. Well, of course you have. We all have had our plans be torn up. In fact, we all grew up with uh, television shows where we have uh, montages where we laughed of people's plans being blown up in their face. American's Funniest Home Videos, anybody? Every weeknight, I grew up watching that. Uh, Just to remind you that having our plans blow up in our face or not going according to plan is not a new problem. I dug into the vault and I found some older American's Funniest Home Videos. Here's what I'm talking about here. That phrase, that was unexpected. Have you ever had one of those unexpected moments when you had a plan and something happened out of left field? God threw you a curveball. You were completely caught off guard by something. Yeah, Sometimes those unexpected moments, they can be comical, kind of like what we saw up there. Or like whenever you reach down to drink from a cold glass of water and you take a sip only to find out it was Sprite instead. Ooh, that was, that was unexpected, right? Or your hot pink shirt finds its way into your load of whites, right? And you're like, ooh, that was, that was unexpected. Or this is a personal example. Whenever you go to college as a single communications major, and you graduate with a Bible degree, and you're engaged. But that was unexpected (laughs) for a lot of people. Uh, Anyways, uh, but life is not always that comical. Those unexpected moments sometimes can be far more painful. You've wanted to be a mother your entire life, only to find out that you can't have biological children. That was unexpected. When you're working so hard in the office for that promotion and the the boss brings you in, but not to promote you, but to fire you, that was unexpected. When you decide to make some changes in your life to live more healthy, you begin working out, you go on a healthy diet, only a couple years later you find out you have terminal cancer, that was unexpected. When you stood at the altar and said, I do, only to stand in the living room seven years later saying, I want a divorce, that was unexpected unexpected. And that bottom of the pit feeling that you get when the unexpected flies into your path, I imagine that's exactly how Abraham felt when God asked him to sacrifice his only son. That, I imagine, was unexpected for him. So what I want to do with you this morning is I want to explore that text in Genesis 22, that seemingly offensive story in Genesis 22, And while we dig our way through it, I want to answer one question for you. What do you do when life doesn't go your way? When your plans are tossed to the wind, when everything falls apart? Because if you're going to find your place in God's story, then we have to be realistic. Life sometimes is vile. Sometimes it is dreadful, life-draining, simply bad. So what do we do when life doesn't go our way? What do we do when life is uncertain? So in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to be looking at Abraham's life. And what I want to do is I want to give you four certainties 
when life is uncertain. Four certainties when life is uncertain. And let's just dive straight into the first one. The first certainty when life is uncertain is that God will prepare you today for what you will face tomorrow. God will prepare you today, right now, in this moment, for whatever you are going to face tomorrow or the days to come. Let's look at Genesis 22 together. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be just sitting in 22 this morning, this wild story that we find in Genesis 22. And if you read it, it will say, the first verse, it came to pass after these things. Pause right there. We're not going to make it very far in this first point. After these things. What does that insinuate? After these things. Well, that something happened before Genesis 22 that we need to know about before we dive in here. And what happened before, those things that happened before, is what this entire sermon series has been about. God has made some promises to Abraham. Abraham has had a number of failures along the way. Some of God's promise has been fulfilled at this point. The old couple, Abraham and Sarah, they do have a promised child. His name is Isaac. And at the end of chapter 21, we get a glimpse at what life looks like for Abraham these days. If you have your Bible, just look at the very last verse in chapter 21. It's kind of hidden. It's like a small window that we can peek inside behind the words And it says this, And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So some scholars believe that that many days there can actually add up to equal many years. Regardless of how long it actually was, it's setting a scene for us as readers about the state of life that Abraham and Sarah and their family are in. I imagine Abraham and Sarah are experiencing in those days some of the most wonderful days of their life. Why would I assume that? Because they finally have their son. His name is Isaac. His name literally means laughter. They are living as a family, finally living as a family. This promised child has been born to them. They're no longer anticipating, no longer waiting if they will ever have a child of their own. So I can only imagine that in this season of Abraham's life, he's experiencing a lot of bliss and a lot of rest. The promise may not be fully fulfilled, but he's living within part of that promise. He has a son. It was a rest that came just before one of his worst tests that he would face. A Yiddish proverb claims that God sends burdens, but he also sends shoulders to bear those burdens. Have you ever faced a burden in your life that you are unsure how you were going to get over it? an obstacle in your path that you couldn't see yourself on the other side of. Well, don't. God sends the burden, but he also sends the shoulders to bear those burdens. I mean, just look at what we're about to read in Genesis 22, the the command to sacrifice your own child. Every time I dive into this story, I find myself thinking, there is no way I could fulfill that promise. There's no way I could actually go about doing that to my son. I don't have that level of faith. But the truth is, God had been preparing Abraham for everything that he was going to face today. And equally, God is preparing you for whatever it is that you will face tomorrow. So if you are experiencing today a season that is good, a season that is restful, 
God is preparing you for something that you will face tomorrow. And it's equally true. If you are facing a period that is troublesome, that is burdening you, God is also preparing you for something that you will face tomorrow. There's a story I love of a, of a little plant that grew up under the shade of an old dead stump. And this little plant lived years happy and safe under the shade of this little or this old dead stump until one day a big burly man wearing brown overalls, he came stomping through the forest and in his hands he carried a sturdy wooden axe with a sharp blade on the end. And he stomped his way through the forest until he came to that old dead stump and with three swings of his axe he cracked and he cracked and he cracked that old wooden stump until it fell on the ground, and during every single one of his swings, a little plant yelled out, no, please, don't. I've lived my entire life under the shade of that old dead stump. Now the winds, they can rip at my leaves. Now the rain can pound me on top of the head. Now the dirt and the sun will be dried out under my feet. It's true, said the man, big burly man in the overalls. Now, you will get the sun and the rain that you will not only need to live, but to thrive. You see, sometimes God subtracts so that he can multiply. And all the things that Abraham experienced, from the multitude of failures in his life to these days of rest and bliss, they were preparing him for the ultimate test that he would experience in chapter 22. Now that's a completely different way of looking at life, isn't it? Most of us, if we're asked how we're doing in life, we'll say, well, I'm just keeping my head above water. <laughs> you can just, you know, living day to day. I saw a post on social media. It said, uh, living life is like flying a helicopter. I have no idea how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> but to look at life now as a preparation for what's to come, it's a different view. God will prepare you today for what you will face tomorrow. That's something you can be certain about when life is uncertain. The second certainty when life is uncertain is that a challenged faith is a confirmed faith. A challenged faith is a confirmed faith. Go back to Genesis 22. We'll pick up where we left off. After these things, God tested Abraham. Focus in on that word. God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, Abraham responded, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Again, let's look at that word tested. Tested. It often gets confused in our translation. What does that word mean? It comes from the Hebrew word nasach, N-A-S-A-H, nasach, which literally just translates to prove the worth or to prove the value of something. So if you're going to test something, you are proving its worth. Now, that word test in the English vocabulary gets mixed up in our head with another T word, and that's the word tempt. So it's tempting and it's testing. Which one is God doing? Which one am I leaning into? What's the difference between these two things? Because we know in James chapter 1 that God cannot tempt us so what's happening here? Test. Test. Well, easy equation. God tests us. The devil tempts us. 
And you might say, well, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my experience, how can I tell if something is a temptation or if something is a test? How do I know if I need to flee away from something or if I need to lean into it and endure it? Again, great question, simple equation. The devil's temptations bring out the worst in you. God's tests bring out the best in you. James talks about, in his chapter, in his letter, a refining process when he talks about going through a test. He's alluding to this process that they had of refining silver. You know, silver isn't, doesn't come in its most natural form, shiny like our silverware or a sword or shield. That's a refining process. They would take the natural element of silver, they would put it in a cauldron, and they would test it, meaning they would put it under extreme heat. And as the silver liquefied, all of the impurities in the silver would rise to the surface. So the maker would then scrape off those impurities, and then he would repeat the process, warming, testing that silver till it, all the impurities bubbled to the surface, and he wiped those away. And over and over and over again, he would repeat this process until finally the maker could see his reflection in the final product testing. Here's the truth. Temptation and testing, they can happen simultaneously. The devil may be tempting you. God may be testing you in the same season. You get hints of that when Jesus goes into the wilderness. So what do you do when you're not sure if something is a test or a temptation? Will you trust ultimately in God's sovereignty? You know, I love the story of Joseph because that truth is highlighted. A young boy who's brothers plot to kill him. They decide to settle on throwing him into a pit, which they do, and then eventually they take him out of the pit and they sell him into slavery. While he's captive by this foreign nation, he rises up in the ranks only to be accused of a crime that he didn't commit and thrown back into prison. All reminders of a man's life that didn't go according to plan, that God was on his side And yet, how did he know if something was a test or a temptation, where to lean in and where to flee? Do you want to know what Joseph said? You get a window into his perspective at the very end of all of these trials. He's risen to a, a place of power and judgment over his brothers, and he's sitting with them face to face. And he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How will you ever know, this is back to you, how will you ever know if your faith is any good unless you test it? Unless you put it under fire, see how it holds up, see where it needs to be fortified. Because in Abraham's test, God poked all of Abraham's nerves. I mean, this is the promised child. Wait, wait, God, so you're telling me that this child that I've waited so long for, that you have finally given me, You want me to give that up. After you have given me the name Abraham, which means father of the multitude, and at this point I literally only have two sons. One's departed me and the other you want me to sacrifice. How does this make any sense? But that's the test. Abraham, whom do you love more? Do you love God? Or do you love Isaac? And the truth is we all have our own Isaacs. It may be our children. It could also be our career 
or our status, or our investment, or our image, or our looks, or our knowledge, or our toys, or our addictions. The thing we're not willing to give up. You know, Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, if you want to follow me, that's great, but are you willing to hate, deny your father and your mother, your spouse and your children, even your own life? Because if you can't do that, you can't be my disciple. And he's essentially saying what we're talking about. What is the one thing in your identity that you can't give up? that you can't define yourself without it? What is the thing that you are not willing to lay down and sacrifice? Or as J.C. Riles puts it, a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. What is your faith worth? A faith that's been challenged is a faith that's been confirmed. That's a certainty. Here's the Third certainty, when life is uncertain, when life is illogical, we need to get theological. It's my favorite one. Isn't that good? When life is illogical, we need to get theological. Let's go to the text. I'll show you exactly what I mean. Genesis chapter 22, picking up where we left off, verse 3. We're only on verse 3, but we're going to get a lot here. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, we will go over there. We're going to worship and we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they both went them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. Abraham responded, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but there's not a lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham responded, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. Stop. Pause. You know, the first thing that I notice whenever I reread this as I was preparing for this message is you never get insight into how Abraham's doing in all this. Like, Abraham, how are you doing emotionally? How are you doing mentally? I mean, you just get like, he gets the command, he rises up early, he goes about the tasks. And I think that's because you don't need to be told how Abraham is doing to know how Abraham is doing in this. Any parents in here? Raise your hand. Parents? Yeah. How would you be doing if you got this command? to go sacrifice your son, a command directly from God. Abraham, I only imagine he didn't get much sleep that night. He might have been tossing and turning, his mind racing. Maybe he woke up, he didn't have an appetite. Maybe he's dodging Sarah and her questions because Sarah doesn't know (laughs) what Abraham's plans are to go and do. With their son, Isaac, difficulty sleeping, lack of appetite, mind racing, I might have diagnosed many people in this room right now. So what do you do when you simply don't know what to do? 
What do you do when you simply don't know what to do? Well, we do what Abraham did. We live faithful to God, and we think it through. Think it through. What do you mean? Here's what I mean by thinking it through. Do you notice the remark that Abraham made to the two young men that accompanied him and Isaac on this trip? I'll highlight it for you. Essentially, he says, you guys stay here with the stuff. Isaac and I, we're going to go up on this mountain. We're going to go worship, and then we will come back together. You see, what I, what I think happened is Abraham, while he was tossing and turning throughout the night, he had a lot of time to consider the problem, but he also had a lot of time to consider the solution. And the truth is, Abraham knows that God is faithful. He knows that. I mean, that truth has already been proven to Abraham more times than he can count at this point in his life. God is faithful. God is not fickle. And so if God is faithful, God can be trusted. So for Abraham, there has to be something on the other side of this test that will keep God being faithful. We get a little more clarity of this, of what Abraham is thinking in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he, look at this, considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. I love that word considered in Greek. It can be translated as like a calculation. Like Abraham made a calculation, and Abraham could trust God's commands because he knew God's character. He began reasoning based off of God's character. You see, when life gets illogical, we have to get theological. And if your circumstances around you don't make sense, just begin making the calculations. What do you know about God? What do you know to be true about God? And allow that to determine your perspective, not the circumstances around you. For Abraham, whatever happened up on that mountain, it was going to be worship. So let me encourage you to turn your worst times into worship times. Learn to gaze at God and just glance at your problems. Because the moment you get those two things switched, you're going to get swallowed. Abraham wasn't swallowed because he had already fully submitted himself to God. He already knew and determined at that point in his life God could be trusted. That God was faithful, and he was right in the end. God was faithful, just not the way that Abraham expected him to be. Which leads us to the fourth certainty, when life is uncertain, is that steps backward help us look forward. Let's finish out our text in Genesis 22, picking back up in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, his knife is in the hand, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I now know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went, he took the lamb, he offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Whenever I was in grade school, I really wanted glasses. I don't know why. I just thought they were cool. I thought all the cool kids were wearing glasses. I wanted to be cool, so I wanted glasses. I know I was backwards. So I wanted glasses really bad, and, you know, we go to the eye doctor, and whenever you go there, you know that, like, futuristic lens that they put in front of your eyes with all the dials and switches? It looks, you know, something like this. And they, like, they'll, they'll give you the little test of, like, all right, is this clear? Or, like, is this clear? And you're, like, can I see the first one again? They're, like, okay, is that one clear? Or, and they go through that process over and over again, multiple tests, you put in all your results, they do one final click, and then boom, perfect vision. It's amazing, right? So it was true for me. They went through the whole process, perfect vision. I could see clearly. The problem is, I didn't think seeing clearly was getting me any closer to getting glasses, and so I lied. <laughs> I lied. My mother was there, and I told the doctor, I couldn't see the big E on the vision chart, the classic biggie at the top, can't see it. You know, on the surface, when you read Genesis 22, it can be a problematic text. But whenever you step back, it's like flipping one dial. It's like you flip one dial, and it's like, oh, I don't, Genesis 22, that doesn't make sense, it's weird. But then you flip all these dials, you step back, and all of a sudden, you get clear vision. As Christians, we get that luxury. We get to flip a bunch of dials until this remarkable, unbelievable, radically changing message comes into clarity on the other side. And the message is this, that Abraham and Isaac, they point beyond themselves to the Messiah. This story that we just read, it is a parable of the greater redemption God will someday accomplish through their descendants, a man named Jesus. You know, an exchange happened in Genesis 22, a ram took the place of Isaac. And that points to a greater exchange that happens on the cross, the Son of Man in place for all of us. God did give his son. He took him to death and he brought him through it. And I know I'm supposed to be uh, cutting my sermons back to give Joe time in his class, but I cannot leave out this fun nugget. But just looking at the comparison between Isaac and and, Je and Jesus. Isaac is a promised child, a miracle child, born to old family. Jesus is a miracle child, born to a virgin. Isaac is promised long before his birth. Jesus equally was promised. Isaac is labeled as the only son. Now, wait a second. I thought there were two sons. Well, there were, but there was only one son of the promise, directly to Abraham and Sarah. Jesus is equally the only son. Isaac and Jesus are both a son whom is loved. You know, scholars say that the first time a word appears in the Bible, it's extremely significant. The first time the word love appears in your Bible is right here in Genesis 22. Isaac is sacrificed or almost sacrificed on Mount Moriah. Thousands of years later, a temple would be built just on the base of that mountain, and they would actually go to the top of that mountain to crucify Jesus, the same mountain. Three-day journey Abraham went on. Three days Jesus was in 
the tomb. You think, well, that's a little bit of a stretch, but think about it as a father. You're given the command to sacrifice your son to the moment he is spared. Your son's already dead in your mind. Isaac carried his own wood up Moriah by the hand of his father. Jesus carried his own cross up the same mountain at the hand of his father. The similarities are uncanny, but the difference is what actually matters. Where Isaac had a substitute, there was no substitute for Jesus. Where only Abraham contemplated sacrificing his son, God actually went through with it. And when Abraham lifted the knife to kill his son, heaven was stunned that a man could love God so much. And when Jesus died on Mount Moriah, all of heaven was stunned that God could love humanity so much. You know, on the surface, Genesis 22, it is problematic. But whenever you step back, you see how the story fits into the broader context of Scripture we see it's one of the clearest stories that points to God's solution to the problem of death. God launches the rescue plan for the world through this man named Abraham. And Abraham's words to Isaac were ultimately true. God himself will provide the sacrifice, my son. So here's your guarantee for the day as a conclusion. Things are not going to go according to plan. (laughs) You are going to leave here, and things are not going to go according to plan. We have this law built into nature, that Murphy's Law, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. This works in mechanics, it works in the universe, it works in your life. So I have given you four certainties. Abraham has shown us four certainties when life is uncertain. God will prepare you today for what you will face tomorrow, meaning you can have certainty that he has prepared you beforehand for what you are facing this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. A challenged faith is a confirmed faith, meaning the heat that you feel shouldn't be credited as entirely a bad thing. How will you know if your faith is of value unless it's tested on occasion, you are being strengthened for something greater. Second, or I'm sorry, James chapter 1, verse 12 talks about this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. The third certainty, when life gets illogical, we need to get theological, meaning you will never be satisfied consistently seeking the most logical outcome. Sin is too rampant. The world is too broken to try to reason out all of its problems. I mean, they crucified Jesus after all. This world doesn't make sense, and sometimes it isn't logical, but we have to make that shift and rest in who God actually is. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then the last certainty is steps backwards help us look forward, meaning the harder And the closer you look at your problems today, it will be like trying to see your reflection in a mirror and your nose is touching the glass. When you take a step back, you can see the larger workings happening, and then you can begin to understand verses like Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
you can navigate all the uncertainties in this life with a strategy and with a proper perspective. Life is uncertain, but your place in God's story shouldn't be. And so whatever that next step looks like for you, some of you, it may be giving your life to Jesus. Others of you, it may be trying to reconnect your faith to what actually matters, actually applying it to life. We want to make it all available to you. I'm going to offer a prayer, and anybody who wants to respond, however you want to respond, we want to make it available before we close out this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to give it all to you. God, this life certainly is uncertain. We cannot prepare, we cannot anticipate all of the problems, all of the struggles that we will face the moment we leave these doors. But God, we can be certain into who you are. You've made it clear to us in your word, in your consistency with us. And so God, we ask that as we navigate our place in your story, as we navigate the uncertainties in our life, we can remain certain in our faith with you, that you can be trusted, that we can rely on you. And we hope that we can learn from Abraham's story, that we have been prepared, that it doesn't always make sense, that our faith is being matured, and God, that you have a bigger story at plan. God, we live faithful to that, and we pray for anybody in this room who needs to respond to it, however they need to respond to it. We make ourselves available to them, as we open ourselves up to you. God, thank you for this opportunity to praise and worship you. We give it all to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.